0: paramedics, firefighters, police officers, all of these are people that we think of that we can turn to when we need to be rescued. And we're trained that rescuing is a kind, neighborly, honorable thing to do. And it is. But sometimes rescuing can go wrong. That's what we're talking about today. Welcome to Communication on Point podcast. I'm your host, Dean Hefta. This podcast is designed to bring insights that help us grow our influence and strengthen our leadership as we work with teams and the world around us. Let's get started. Ah, the rescuers, people that we hold up as heroes, people that are willing to risk their own safety, and give of themselves to help others around them. It's remarkable the impact that people with a rescuer's heart can have on our society, on our safety, on our health. Whether it's a nurse, a doctor, a firefighter, a police officer, whoever it is that's willing to give of themselves to serve others. The list can go on, and you can think of some right now that have maybe provided rescuing service in your neighborhood, in your community, in your life. And the mindset of the rescuer is powerful, a positive element of a civil society, of a, of a healthy society. But there's a challenge. There's a challenge that can happen when the rescuer mindset, the behaviors of the rescuer move into our day-to-day environment with the people that we interact with, maybe even how we approach daily interactions around us. And that's really the point of today's conversation is understanding the language that the rescuer uses. When we're in that position of the rescuer, what the language is that we can look for, how we're communicating with the world around us, and what that's telling us about the mindset, the beliefs, what's going on under, underneath the surface, and some of the risks if we find ourselves in full rescuer mode on a daily basis. So when I use the term rescuer, I I think of it as there are positive connotations, you know, the people that literally rescue people from danger. And there is also a negative connotation, a misapplication of rescuing that turns into a unhealthy position for us to take with the world around us. And we can get some indication of somebody moving into that rescuer position by understanding the language that's being used. When you think about these phrases, think about someone saying, oh, you poor thing. Oh, anytime you need me to do something for you, you just let me know. Oh, this is going to be really challenging for you. Let me do it instead. You know what? It's not a big deal. I'll take care of it this weekend. I'll do it myself. I don't want you to be troubled by it. See, that language is indicating... There's lots of different phrases that we can look for and hear around us. It's indicating, it's communicating, I can't really do it. I'm not up to the tasks, but somebody else is. They're, they're going to rescue me. And it's really a one-down position in that full rescuer mode, saying, I'm here for you. And you know what? I'm stepping in because I don't think you can do it. And... Some of the greatest insights about the rescuer and its relationship to other positions that we might take on come from Stephen Carpman. He created something called the Drama Triangle and identified one of the three positions that need to be filled for us to have drama in our life is the rescuer. That rescuer position, it's a mindset. It's not that someone is born a rescuer or they are a, quote-unquote, rescuer We all slip into this mode, this mindset of taking on or taking over for others. There's some key things to understand about the mindset that we have when we're in that rescuer mode. The position that we have, and we convey this in the language we use, is some form of, you need my help. You can't do this without me. It's a good thing I'm here. That type of position. And in fact, when I'm in that rescuer position, I might feel a little bit guilty if I don't do it. I feel like it's a part of my identity. Like I, I need to do this. And if I do this for you, if I take this on for you, if I rescue you, then I'm going to be more valuable because of it, right? I mean, that's kind of going on under the surface there. It's, it's important for me to do this for you so that I feel better. And the challenge there is, The focus isn't on the other person and the long-term needs that they have, but rather the immediate gratification of me in this moment. I'm trying to eliminate discomfort maybe, or I can't watch somebody struggle to learn or do something It's painful for me, so I'm going to step in and just do it on their behalf. Maybe somebody has a challenge or something they're facing, and my position is, you know, I'm a nice person. I'm a helpful person. And if you listen to me, I can fix you. That's how good of a person I am. In fact, if you listen well enough, you're going to feel good because of me. I can make this pain go away. So there's this protector position that the rescuer comes in. It shields maybe a person from the pain of the world or the challenge of failure or the struggle of working through something that's hard or new. So you can be listening for the language of the rescuer as you look around, and we think about that. Well, on the surface, it's like, well, what's so bad about the rescuer? What's wrong with that? I mean, it seems like a good thing. It seems like a benevolent, helpful, caring position, and it is. But every action, every decision, every comment that we choose to make will have some sort of consequence, and that's what's at stake here when we are taking on that rescuer position in situations that don't require rescuing. That's the difference. There are points where it's important for us to be able to step in. But many times when we step in too quickly, we're creating consequences down the road. What might those consequences be? This is whether I'm a parent, a friend, a manager, a politician, when I take on that position of rescuer and I communicate with the world around me in that language, there's long-term consequences. What are those? Well, you think about it. If, if you are someone who has always been rescued, what does that turn into? Well, it breeds victimhood. See, why would I need to be rescued if I wasn't, you could say, victimized in some fashion? I need a rescuer, right? It fosters helplessness. What the rescuer is subconsciously conveying is you can't do this yourself. You can't do this without me. I'm here. I'm the white knight here on my horse to rescue you. It prevents the development of accountability. Maybe if that rescuer is continually stepping in to my feedback loop, all of us live in some form of a feedback loop in our lives. I do something, I say something, and then later something happens. And if that rescuer is stepping into the position, preventing the feedback loop from being completed, and they are taking on the burden of somebody else's actions, then how do I ever learn to take accountability? for what i say or for what i do so the rescuer potentially prevents my learning of accountability because of the interruption of that loop it could encourage entitlement think about that if if somebody in my life my whole life stepped in and did something for me uh, my laundry uh, washed my car you know picked up picked up my dry cleaning you name it they continually did something for me, that develops an expectation. And an expectation turns into then an entitlement where the appreciation collapses, where they say, this is how things are. This is not a gift. This is not exceptional. This is just how things are. And it now becomes an entitled. I am entitled to this because my whole life, the rescuer has stepped in and done this for me that's a hard thing to break. It's it's like a drug. And we all, each of us, have something that we feel entitled to. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, well, I'm not entitled. I don't have anything I'm entitled to. But certainly, there, there is something in our world where we have expectations of how things are going to be or who's going to do something for us. It could be as simple as every time I go to the bank, that teller Gives me a piece of candy in the little tube that comes out and gives me my receipt. And when that doesn't happen, I'm disappointed. Something as small as getting a piece of candy every time I go to the teller becomes a form of entitlement. So these things can be very big, they can be very small, but they happen. And the challenge in that rescuer position is it feeds into that because it interrupts that learning loop of accountability and feeds into the belief that I am helpless to take action on my part to do what must be done and to deal with challenges and struggles and hardships. So you could say that it prevents the development of the accountability muscles that help us to be successful in our life. So when you look at the impact of perpetual rescuer mode, it's a big deal. It's very significant. I was doing a training a few months ago, and one of the attendees was there with a couple of coworkers, and later, one of the people from that group reached out to me, and we were talking and chatting, and the comment was, did you notice that she was kind of quiet leaving training? I said, yeah, a little bit. What's, what's up? She said, well, on the way back to the office, she said, you know, for years, I thought I have been being helpful to others and I've just realized I've been a rescuer and I have actually been contributing to a problem that we've been having as an office. That's a stark realization. You see underneath the behavior of the rescuer is more than likely positive intentions, good intentions to sincerely help, sincerely care for other people. And it's those good intentions that lead to that willingness to sacrifice of themselves to help others, to jump in and do it for somebody else because they don't want to see people suffer. So it leads to, what do we do about it? Well, it's really about context. It's about the time frame that we measure things in. It's our view towards others and a recognition in ourselves that struggle has been important to our own development and that quickly intervening and preventing the struggle of others is, is actually oftentimes doing them a disservice. So this can affect, first, how we communicate with ourselves when we see challenges in others around us, and then how do we communicate with them in that situation. So if I have a tendency to end up in that rescuer position, you know, I have good intentions, I have a desire to help, and I don't know how else to do it. I can use phrases like, I care about you. I want you to know that I, that I care about you. And I also know that you are capable of handling this. I'm here to support you. And I know that you can work through this and that you can do it. See, I'm not abandoning them. It's not a binary question of do I let them suffer or do I just jump in and do it? It's infusing the courage that they have the capability to deal with this situation. I can be here to whatever level they need, but I can't do it on their behalf. And that's the key is I can't step in and do things that others have the capability of doing because every time I do that, I will reduce the belief that they have in their ability to do. That's affected by how I communicate, the things that I say, the phrases that I use, the actions that I take, like well, I just went ahead and did that anyway. That way you don't have to worry about it. Again, there I am communicating through my actions that I don't really believe they can do it, at least not well. I can listen actively. I can let them know, hey, I'm willing to hear you out. I'm, I'm here to listen to your problem. And that conversation has to be with me maintaining the belief that the problem is theirs to solve and not mine to own. So the question continually becomes, whose problem is it? If it's their problem, hey, I can be here as a sounding board. I can be a coach. I can be here how you need me to be. But the problem is not mine. And I've seen this so often where this desire to help turns into burnout because They end up taking on everybody else's problem. Maybe they're a manager and everybody just brings, the whole team brings their problems to the manager. And before you know it, the manager is working 100 hours a week, stressed out, not sleeping, thinking they are a hero. And they're communicating to the team, hey, if you've got a problem, I'm here to solve it. They believe if they do that enough, they can make others feel good. But the reality is it is up to the others to make themselves feel good. And I need to make sure that people know that they are accountable for their actions and that they always have a choice. I can, I can listen to you now if you want, or if you, it's better for you, you, I've got some time on Tuesday afternoon. You can give me a call then. What's best for you? I'm not going to change my world just to appease you. So it takes constraint, restraint, and context of recognizing that in this moment, the goal is not to eliminate pain and discomfort and struggle from the other person. The reality is that pain, discomfort, and struggle is a part of their development. And that pain is letting them know that there is some level of skill that they need to develop. See that pain is a feedback loop. Now as a, as a coach, as a friend, as a mentor, as a manager, whatever role I have, I can be there to guide, to support, to encourage, do different things. But as soon as I communicate to them that they can't do it or I'll do it instead for them, I'm beginning to prevent the development of that muscle. So, you find yourself being drawn to that rescuer position. Reflect on the language that we use. Do I want to step in and say, I can do this. I'll take care of this. I don't want you to worry about it. Or do we have a tendency to balance between helping people through challenges and yet letting them experience the challenge so that they can grow over the course of time. It's about balance, and it's about recognizing whose problem is this right now, and how can I communicate in a way that's helpful for that development over the long term and not just getting through the discomfort of today. Let's make sure that our rescuers stay heroes. Our firefighters our physicians, our teachers, all of the people that we rely on to step in when things really are in emergency. I hope there's some perspectives that have been helpful for you today as you go through your week, working with your family, with your teams, with the world around you, and think about helping them develop their muscles, their skills, And recognizing that the struggle that they're facing is a part of that growth process. And that you can be there as a guide and a helper and as a coach, but not as a rescuer. I appreciate you joining me this week and I look forward to connecting with you again next week. Make it a great one.